Exercise doesn't have to be painful. Your diet doesn't need to be bland and boring. It's time to have less pain and move more and learn how to be better to yourself. Welcome to Pain-Free Day with your host, Joshua Cohen. In this program, you'll learn the pain-free way to eat, the pain-free way to exercise, and the pain-free way to live a better life. Now, here's Joshua Cohen. Hello. Welcome back to Pain-Free Day. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Cohen. Today, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to, I'm not going to have a guest. I'm going to answer questions. Questions that are, you know, commonly asked questions that a lot of patients of mine ask and that a lot of you have asked over the past year since I've started this podcast. People have asked me questions over social media, you know, sent me emails, different things like that. And if you have any questions, any of you listeners, please don't hesitate to send me any, ask me any questions, send it to me over social media, over uh, email, josh at cohentriggerpoint.com. It's an easy way to, uh, to find me, to get in touch with me. I mainly deal with pain. I have a very unique approach to pain. Uh, I'm a chiropractor, but I mainly focus on muscles. And what I do is a specific form of chiropractic trigger point therapy. Muscles are a vastly underappreciated component of pain. Um, I find that they're involved in most pain processes, if not all types of pain processes. One of the things I'd like to say to my patients and the students that I teach is that, uh, you know, if it's moving in your body, it's being moved by muscles, whether it's blood being pumped, um, whether it's you breathing from your diaphragm, you know, it all comes from muscles. There's a chiropractic theory that every, every time you breathe, your gluteal or hip muscles are contracting to help circulate cerebral spinal fluid up the spinal cord to help circulate it. So I have a very unique approach to pain. I deal with pain a lot. Um, you know, I find that I'm better at explaining pain and working with pain than most general care practitioners and uh, you know, PCPs and also orthopedists. You know, orthopedists generally say that they would rather see a patient before they need to see them, before the joint is shot, before the joint is arthritic. And what I like to say to my patients is that I'm gonna keep them feeling as good as possible as long as possible. I'm gonna keep you guys moving as long as possible, keep those joint issues at bay. And that's what I specialize in and helping to keep joints balanced and um, moving the way that they were supposed to. It's kind of like the theory with your car, where if your car, if your car is out of alignment, the brakes are gonna wear away quicker, the tires are gonna wear away quicker. Same thing with your body. If your joints are out of alignment because you have tight and irritated and spasmed and inflamed muscles, it's because they're going to cause, they're gonna pull everything out of alignment, cause the joints to pull, get pulled out of alignment and cause them to wear away quicker, cause the cartilage to wear away quicker, which will bring on arthritis. So let's get into some of these questions. You know, by the way, a little more about my background. Um, let me see. I practice what I preach. I do a lot of exercising. Um, you know, I've done 100-mile mountain bike races, which are the equivalent of Ironman triathlons. I've also worked on a lot of high-level athletes. I've gone to the Super Bowl. I've gone to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs to work on Golden Glove boxers. So, you know, I work on amateur athletes, professional athletes, but most of the stuff that I see at this point are, you know, repetitive issues 
um, overuse issues in general. <clears throat> Excuse me. Overuse, you know, most athletic injuries are going to be overuse injuries anyways. And most of what you are going to uh, feel are because you're overdoing it and overusing muscles repetitively over and over and over again. I find most people's joint issues at this point are due to repetitive or cumulative trauma from doing the same actions over and over and over again, which causes the joints to get, the muscles to get tight and irritated until they finally go into a neurological pattern of spasm and inflammation. And then there, then the joint is misaligned, irritated, spasmed and inflamed. So let's get into this. Let's get into how does this stuff happen? How does this happen to you? How can you deal with this? How can you work with these musculoskeletal, musculoskeletal injuries? So, um, Let's see. So first thing, first question that I have is, why do I have pain? Why do my muscles tighten up? Well, pain is very complex and you have pain from a lot of different reasons, but muscles are generally involved in most pain processes. And so generally what happens when your muscles tighten up or what'll, how your muscles get involved into issues is from doing the same motion over and over and over again. For most of us, that's going to be sitting in general. That's going to be in front of the, sitting in front of the computer and doing that for hours and hours and hours. And that's going to cause your muscles to get tighter and tighter and tighter. I like to joke that if your muscles were not, um, if your muscles were not uh, holding you upright, then they would then they would, you would flop over like a boneless chicken. And so, you know, you need your muscles while you are sitting to help keep you upright. And that's why, you know, your muscles just over and over and over again, you know, from doing, from sitting, from doing the same stuff, they get tighter and tighter and tighter until what happens, they'll get so tight, they'll finally tear on a microscopic level. That's what a strain or a strain or a muscle pull is. Excuse me. <clears throat> I live in Pittsburgh and allergies are pretty bad right now. They're pretty bad for everybody. So that's what I'm feeling. So your muscles will tighten up. They'll get tighter and tighter and tighter from doing the same things over and over and over again until your muscles finally tear on a microscopic level. It's what a sprain or strain or a muscle pull is. Did you fully tear the muscle 100%? No, you did not. It was a partial tearing of the muscle fibers. Muscles are made up of thousands of muscle fibers about the thickness of a, of a hair. And so muscles are kind of like a rope. They're made up of all these fibers. And what will happen is when you tear a muscle, you'll tear a few fibers, you know, it's a partial partial tearing of the muscle fiber. You're not completely tearing the entire muscle. When that happens, the rest of the muscle will reflexively constrict to prevent further tearing. It's a self-protective mechanism. The muscle will constrict so hard though, it'll go into, it'll start, <clears throat> excuse me, it'll constrict so hard that it'll start sending increased neurological stimuli into the spinal cord. It'll get amplified, come out as increased motor stimuli telling the muscle to contract more and it becomes a perpetuating cycle. The more the muscle contracts and sends that increased sensory stimuli into the spinal cord, the more it gets amplified, the more it comes out and tells the muscle to contract more, keeps doing it over and over and over again. What'll happen is that'll start sending, is start irritating the, the central, central nervous system in the spinal cord and start, start sending increased neurological stimuli up and down the spinal cord where it starts affecting other areas neurologically 
It can irritate muscles neurologically. It'll ascend to your brain where you become conscious of pain. But so I look at it as you're going to have at that point, you're going to have neurological compensation along with mechanical compensation, meaning that that increased neurological stimuli is going to irritate the spinal cord, cause other muscles to get more irritated, increase, you know, give you what's called an overactive neurological system, which can irritate a lot of other issues. And also, you know, let's say, <clears throat> let's say it's going on in your right hip. <clears throat> excuse me. And so if your right hip hurts, you know, you're going to use your left hip more. If your right shoulder hurts, you're just going to use your left shoulder more. It's, you're going to have that mechanical compensation. So when I'm working on somebody, I always like to do both sides. You have to treat both sides. You have to address both sides. So that's how pain gets wired into your system. I'm very convinced at this point, that's how chronic pain gets wired into your system. Because once this it, once the muscle starts sending that increased neurological stimuli into the spinal cord, it's kind of aggravating a neurological connection, creating almost like a neurological scar. And once that neurological scar is there, it's called a, it's called a reflex arc. You can find that on my website. There's a great dia diagram of it and how it is when it's regular and how it is when it gets irritated. It's on my website, cointriggerpoint.com. You can find it under your pain. It's a great diagram that helps explain this. But once that gets wired into your system, it's there for life. I kind of look at this stuff, you know, musculoskeletal injuries, they're like cancer or diabetes, you know, they're like a chronic issue like asthma. You know, once they get wired into your system, uh, it's there for life. And if you're not managing it, you're not exercising, you're not keeping the area strong and stable and loose, then it's only a matter of time before that area flares back up again and you have more pain. And, you know, what I like to say is when you're, when the muscles are acting up, you really don't appreciate how much you use a part of your body until you cannot use it like your low back. I have, I work on a lot of women who have had uh, children and it's very common for them to say, I've just had a couple this past week that have said that they would take giving childbirth over back pain any day because of that back pain, it can, when it flares up, it can be so intense and you can't get away from it. And, you know, um, every single motion that you do, you're using your back, you're using your hip muscles. And that's part of the reason why they get irritated so easily. It's because you're overusing them all of the time. Every time you stand up, you sit down, you go to the bathroom, every time you breathe, you're using your gluteal or hip muscles. Okay, so another question. So why do you keep having the same pain over and over and over again? Because like I said, that pain gets wired into your system. And once it's there, you know, what will happen is generally the muscles will fatigue themselves out of that neurological pattern of spasm and inflammation. And what will happen then is that, you know, you'll feel good, but that neurological pattern is still there. So it's easier for the muscles to fall back into that already established neurological pattern of, of pain and spasm and inflammation. And so you're doing the same motions over and over and over again that already caused that issue in the first place, not really doing much to exercise or keep the area strong or stable or loose. It's only a matter of time before those muscles start getting irritated again, start getting tighter again, start getting more inflamed and finally tear on a microscopic level. And in general, if you have a sprain or strain and you don't really do much for it, then what'll happen is it'll heal, but pain is the first symptom of a problem to appear. Sorry, pain is the last symptom of a problem to appear, and it's the first symptom of a problem to disappear. So just because you don't have pain doesn't mean you don't have an issue going on. So generally the pain will calm down, but the muscles will still be tight, irritated, spasmed, and inflamed, and then it doesn't take much to irritate them again. And so that's why you kind of have this stuff happening over and over and over again. And once you do it, once you irritate a muscle, once you sprain a muscle, it's going to be easier to sprain it again and again in the future.
So how does that, so the next question is how does pain get wired into your system? That's how pain gets wired into your system. That's how chronic pain gets wired into your system. You know, and especially if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not managing these issues, it's only a matter of time before things flare back up again and start, you know, causing pain. So why do you have pain? Another question, why do you have pain on one side of the body versus the other side? We are such complex creatures and pain is going to be a, it's multifactorial, meaning that it's going to be caused by so many different issues. You know, what, the way I like to look at it at this point is that if you're having pain on, you know, let's say in your left hip, you know, could be because maybe when you were 12 years old, you fell out of a tree and landed on that hip or that back or that leg and that makes you more susceptible to it. Or maybe just that one hip joint or your acetabular joint is going to be a little shallower. So your your uh, your femur or your greater tro your, your greater trochanter, the head of your femur won't quite fit in as well, and so it's going to clunk around a little bit. Maybe it's too deep, which gives you extra support. And on one side, and the other side isn't as supported. Maybe you're hyperflexible, and that causes your joints to bang around a little bit more. There are so many reasons why. Maybe you were in a car accident and you got hit on that side. But once you in you're an area that area is why that area is going to be much more susceptible to be injured again i even look at it as you know i'm 47 and at this point even you know even a sprained ankle has a way of coming back you, know, you sprain an ankle when you're a teenager and you have a way of feeling that pain you know when you're in your 30s or 40s and i hear from people all of the time i've ha i have this pain and i had the first time i had it was when i was 17 when i was playing football i got you know speared in the shoulder by this guy and you know ever since then i've had the same pain on and off since then and that's very common with this and let me say as well as an aside generally the way that musculoskeletal pain starts out is you'll feel kind of achy then it'll calm down. Then you feel a little more achy, then it'll calm down again. Feel a little more achy, and then it'll calm down again. And that's why, you know, it's very hard to pick up if something is going on because, you know, you'll feel, you'll feel the pain, but then it'll go away and you'll think, hey, pain's gone, so I'm doing all right. But each time the pain comes back, and it could be months in between flare-ups, it's going to be a little worse, a little longer lasting, and a little harder to get rid of until finally things just flare up and you can't get rid of it. And that's where you need to go see somebody. So that's why I always say to my patients, it's much easier to prevent a fire than it is to put one out. It's so much easier to get to prevent these musculoskeletal issues, sprains and strains, than it is to calm them down once they flare up. And ask anybody who's thrown their back out or had you know injured the rotator cuff, you know, or anything like that. But you know, generally, when I need to treat somebody to get them get the pain calmed down, it's going to be two to three times a week for roughly two to four weeks, if not longer. But if I can intervene and catch things while things are just kind of flaring up but still calming down, then um, I can generally prevent things from flaring up, as I like to say, from catching fire. So it's an easy way to kind of calm things down, you know, if you can intervene while things are flaring up before they really have a chance to get bad. Um, in general, you know, what I like to say to patients is even if it calms down, come in and see me. Even if you feel it's just mild, come in and see me because I like to catch this stuff while it's flaring up you know, before it really has a chance to catch fire. All right, let's move on to the next question. I'm going to pause things for one minute. Okay, so now the next question, how does inflammation affect my pain? I'm very big on inflammation. I'm very big on anything you can do to reduce inflammation helps out everything. Inflammation is behind 
most of it's it's a driving factor behind most of our issues, most of our health issues, most of our injuries. If you can reduce inflammation, you'll be less injury prone. Most of your, you know, if you have any disease processes, they're not going to progress as quickly, even osteoarthritis, any of those things, they will progress slower if you are, if you can control your inflammation. I've seen statistics that say the average American has 10 to 12, you know, has just chronic low-grade inflammation most of the time. And that can be due to a lot of different factors. The average American has 10 to 12 pounds of digested feces in their colon at any one time, just because, you know, you eat a lot of animal protein, a lot of processed foods, there's not a lot of fiber. And so what that'll do is that'll cause the food to be really, to go through your body, pass through your system very slowly. And it's likely leaving a piece of meat out on the counter for a couple of days. The longer it's out, the nastier it's going to get. And that stuff in your gut, it's getting nastier and nastier the longer it's sitting in there. You know, and it's going to start turning, getting more rancid. And then your body's going to start absorbing some of that and some of that toxicity, which is going to start irritating your gut. It's a driving factor behind leaky gut. Leaky gut allows other toxins into your system, which irritates other things. Inflammation, I feel, is behind most pain processes. And so if you can control your inflammation, you really can help decrease your pain. So what are some good ways to help, you know, so, well, oh yeah, oh, so let me get into some other ways about how we produce inflammation. Even exercise produces inflammation. It produces free radicals. Free radicals are negatively charged particles that go through our body that attach to different molecules that help disrupt different processes and kill molecules and basically create havoc and create inflammation eat processed foods, they're going to produce inflammation as well. Stress produces inflammation. Stress is a major driving factor behind a lot of pain processes as well. I like to say when you're stressed out, not only are you going to carry yourself tighter, but then also you release a hormone called cortisol. Cortisol is an inflammatory hormone. It's like throwing fuel on a fire. We'll get into stress in a little bit, but stress really can affect a lot of different um, pain processes. You know, um, stress will affect your sleep. The less you sleep, the more, you know, the more stressed you're going to be, the less your body's going to heal and recover. And that becomes kind of a perpetuating cycle. A great way to decrease inflammation. I'm a big fan of, of ice and cold showers, cold showers. They're a great way to help decrease inflammation. You know, everybody's very big into cryotherapy right now, but it's an easy way to get, you know, cold showers. They're a lot less expensive and easier, easier to access than you know, cryo chair, cryotherapy chambers. And what you do, my man Ray Cronice recommends this, and I love this technique. Ray Cronice, check him out. He does the uh, Science and Saucery uh, podcast. He's very plant-based, very intelligent. He's an ex-NASA scientist. I love his perspectives on food. Sometimes he goes a little off the deep end and gets a little too scientific, but all in all, he has some really good quality information. He's very big into cold and cold therapy and how cold affects our metabolism. And it really does. It helps speed up our metabolism, but it also helps decrease inflammation. So his technique for taking cold showers are at the end of your shower, what you want to do is you want to do 10, 20 seconds cold, 20 seconds hot, 20 seconds cold, as many times as you can in throughout the shower, as many times as you can. He recommends doing it 10 times. I've been able to do it about, have, I've had the patience to do about six times, but it really helps decrease inflammation. You come out of the shower, you feel invigorated, you feel good, you feel, and your body is less inflamed, less achy. 
Another good way to help decrease inflammation is by stretching, by doing yoga, by meditating. The more you can just move, you know, meditation just helps decrease the overall mental stress, helps you, helps prevent you from getting so stressed out. I like to this, like the description that it makes, it makes you less reactive to the world around you. And with meditation, you know, I was get uh, in a previous podcast, I got into this a little bit, but you know, you can just basically go into a room, turn out the lights, set the timer on your phone for five minutes, just focus on your breath in out in out eventually your mind will kind of go off onto different strains or different trains of thought but what you want to do is pull it back to your breath whenever you find yourself wandering and it's a great way to control your mind decrease your mind reactivity so you're not at the whim of whatever thought crosses your mind in the middle of the night so you wake up and get all stressed out um, stretching is a great way to help move fluids around prevent fluids from accumulating in certain areas you know in, in for lack of a better expression what I do with trigger point therapy, what you do with exercise, we're kind of squishing fluids around. Well, the type of tri the trigger point therapy that I do, it's, uh, it's called ischemic compression because what I do is when I apply pressure, I cut off the, not, I'm, not only am I cutting off the neurological input, but I'm also cutting off the blood supply for a split second. And then when I release the pressure, it allows fresh blood to wash in, which helps wash away the inflammation. Actually, let's get into that for one second, because this is new trigger point therapy is a great way to decrease inflammation. And I don't think I quite explained to you the technique that I do and how it really affects, you know, that, that reflex arc or that neurological inflammation that I was explaining uh, earlier with in, you know, pertaining to trigger points. So the type of technique that I do, it's called it's ischemic compression. It's manual palpation of the trigger points. Um, the two people that came up with theory, with the theory of trigger points, Dr. Janet Travell and Dr. Raymond Nimmel, they were in the thirties and forties. They kind of combined their, uh, their theories to make it one, one cohesive theory on trigger points. Dr. Janet Travell, she was President John Kennedy's personal physician. She put him in the Kennedy rocker, which as an aside, rocking chairs with some lumbar support behind it are great for low back pain. If you need to sit, sit in a rock, old man, hard back, wooden rocking chair with some lumbar support behind it. There's something about the pumping motion of your legs that helps prevent you from stiffening up. It's a great way to help you sit and be comfortable for periods. So Janet Travell, she was very big into spray and stretch and also trigger point injection. She would spray the trigger points with a cold, and then a cold spray and then stretch them out to help break up the fibrotic adhesions. Raymond Nimmo, he's a guy who taught my father. My father taught me. He liked manual palpation of the trigger points because when you palpate the trigger points, when you squeeze them, when you get right on that trigger point, you disrupt that neurological input. You're able to cut off the, you're able to cut off the neurological input that perpetuates the muscle spasm. You're also able to cut off the blood supply for a split second. And then when you release the pressure, it allows fresh blood to wash in, which helps wash away the inflammation, but also helps normalize that neurological input. A lot of times people, people will go to a chiropractor or a physical therapist and be put on electric stim. It's those pads that they put on you that get your muscles to contract over and over and over again. What they're trying to do is break them out of that pattern of spasm that they're in to contract at a different rate. The, what the manual palpation of trigger points is a much more effective way to help break up that neurological patterning. And so at the end of Dr. Janet Travell's life, she was in touch with my father, Dr. Jeffrey Cohen, and she told him that she felt that the manual palpation of trigger points was a much more effective treatment for them versus spray and stretch or um, trigger point injection. It's because you can do a lot more on the body. You can do a lot more 
trigger points on the body and it's just easier on the patient. A lot of people don't do it though. Very few people specialize in it the way that I do because it's very hard on your body. It's very hard as on the practitioner. It takes a lot of energy. It is work. But I'm a very big believer that nothing affects you like trigger point therapy. It is one of the best things that you can do by far for your musculoskeletal system to keep yourself functioning and keep things balanced, to keep things moving. And I find the trigger point therapy is a great kind of a, it goes very great supplement to exercising, low impact exercising, stretching, healthy eating. All right. So let's see. So let's see some other questions. How does inflammation and stress make me more susceptible to a pain flare? Yeah, I pretty much explained that, you know, the more stressed out you get, you know, and I generally find that it's like, you know, a lot of people come into my office and they'll say, well, you know, I've had this pain for a while and I don't really know why it got bad. And as I talk to them though, usually I'll be able to figure out that something stressful happened within the past couple of two to four weeks, you know, had a whole lot of work that they had to do, got all stressed out out, had a lack of sleep, you know, something was going on with their kids or their parents, maybe they were in the hospital for a couple of days, generally stuff like that, you know, you're just going to hold yourself tighter because you're going to be more stressed out. But then also your body, like I was saying earlier, releases a hormone called cortisol. Cortisol is an inflammatory hormone. Throw cortisol on top of irritated and inflamed muscles and it's like throwing fuel on a fire. Those muscles will flare up after getting cortisol poured on them. And like I was saying before, generally it's coupled with a lack of sleep, you know, so you're not going to sleep as well. So you're not going to recover as quickly. And then generally at that period, most people aren't going to be eating right because they're not going to have as much time. So you're going to kind of grab whatever's closest or whatever's nearest, or sometimes as well, whatever is the most soothing, which could be processed foods, McDonald's, fast food, different things like that. And, you know, generally it becomes a perpetuating cycle because then you need to, you know, a lot of people will drink alcohol to calm down at the end of the night. Then they'll have a whole bunch of coffee in the morning. You know, to perk themselves back up and that causes you to get dehydrated messes with your uh you know the firing of your neurons and kind of throws everything out of whack everything out of balance when you're stressed out you know you're just not going to be functioning as well as what you could be otherwise when you find yourself in that period try and slow yourself down try and do a little meditation a little more stretching try and go see a massage therapist or a chiropractor see especially if your chiropractor does trigger point therapy it's a great way to calm things down especially you know most people will clench their jaw. I do a lot of work in with the jaw to help prevent TMJ. I find trigger point therapy is one of the best ways to help with TMJ dysfunction because your TMJ is going to be controlled by muscles. Okay. So I basically sprained what a trigger point is. How do I treat trigger points? You know, trigger point injections can be very good if done by the right person. They kind of shock the system. They can shock the kind of break up that neurological patterning. They can be very useful if done by the right person. But I find that the, uh, the, the manual palpation of the trigger points, you can do more trigger points and also you, it's easier on the, on the person's body. And basically all of the muscles kind of contribute to, you know, the primary trigger point, all the other surrounding muscles, they're going to be pumping in neurological stimuli into the spinal cord. That's going to affect the neurological stimuli that's affecting that primary trigger point. So everything is connected. My father and I did a big experiment at New York Chiropractic College and what we were able to prove we didn't work on the primary trigger point in a gluteus medius, but we measured how tight and taut it was. And then we were able to, we worked on all of the muscles surrounding the gluteus medius 
then remeasured the tightness and tautness of that gluteus medius. And we were able to prove that it wasn't quite as taut, tight and taut after treating the surrounding muscles, which means that you have to treat everything. You can't just treat that one muscle because everything is connected. The whole body is connected. You know, if your low back is hurt, you're not going to be able to twist as much. So you're going to have to twist more from your neck and shoulders. All right. That brings us up to our first commercial break. So let's pause here for one minute, take a break, and we will move on. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you in pain? Has your doctor told you that you need to start exercising, but you don't know where? Do you want to exercise, but you are in too much pain? Or you start a new exercise routine only to injure yourself and have to stop? How do you exercise when you are in pain? How do you exercise and eat to reduce pain and inflammation? Is your pain associated with what you eat? If you have any of these questions or are interested in any of the topics discussed on Dr. Joshua Cohen's show, then you'll want to check out CohenTriggerPoint.com. You'll find information on all of the topics covered on the show. The site features an extensive library of blogs covering most health topics. There's also an exercise and nutrition program that is designed to get you from not exercising at all to moving, exercising, and eating healthy in consistent ways that are easy on your body and wallet. Join the gentle revolution. Go easy on your body because the rest of the world won't be easy on you. Exercise smarter, not harder. Eat smarter. Don't follow bad diets. Exercise sustainably. Eat sustainably. Have a pain-free day. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Pain-Free Day with Joshua Cohen. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to josh at cohentriggerpoint.com. Now, back to Pain-Free Day. All right. Welcome back to Pain-Free Day. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Cohen, creator of Pain-Free Lifestyle, chiropractor at Cohen Cohen Chiropractic Trigger Point Center. I run CohenTriggerPoint.com. I run Nimmo Educational Foundation. I believe it's NimmoFoundation.com or Nimmo, no, sorry, it's the Nimmo Technique. .org. Check them all out. Hopefully within a couple of months, I'm going to have an introductory course to doing Nimmo online so credentialed chiropractors can go on and take it and learn some good trigger point uh, technique and learn how to treat people. My goal is to educate you, the listener, so that you can take better care of yourself. You can move and feel as good as possible, as long as possible. And also, hopefully, there's some practitioners out there who will get a little bit of a little, who will learn a little something from this to help their clients and their patients move and feel as good as possible and, you know, for as long as possible. Let's keep you moving. Let's keep you feeling good. Let's keep that pain at bay. Even if you have a ton of pain, we might not be able to get fully get rid of the pain, but a pain that is a four out of 10 is a lot better than the pain that's an eight out of 10. And you really can 
most pain processes, I'm here to tell you, you can positively affect. So let's get into that a little bit. Let's get into what if you've had pain for many years? What if you have osteoarthritis, end-stage osteoarthritis? Let's say, let's say you are 60 years old, you have end-stage arthritis in your knees, and you're, you're you know, 250 pounds, your doctor told you to go and exercise. What can you do? You're not going to be able to run. You're not going to be able to do much because most stuff's going to hurt. And honestly, at that point, if you have an exercise, and why do you have to ease your way into exercise? You almost have to get yourself in shape to exercise. But if you can see, some, see a good trigger point therapist, a good chiropractor, and exercise in the right way, you really can keep your joints strong, stable, and aligned and help decrease the progression of that osteoarthritis. Or if you don't have osteoarthritis, prevent the onset of it. And I'm here to tell you osteoarthritis sucks. I have so many patients come in, you know, it's very common for me to have a guy come in in the 60s, big, tough guy, you know, construction worker, work most of his life, you know, works with his hands. You know, they come in and say, you know, they'll say that, uh, you know, they have arthritis and it sucks. And they'll say that their mother had arthritis and their mother used to say that they, that, you know, it was horrible pain. And they used to think that their mother was full of it. But now they say, man, I can't believe how bad this pain is. You can't get rid of it. My man, Ramblin' Jack Elliott, he has a great song about it called the, uh, the Arthritis Blues. He talks about how you can roll on your back. You can drink, you know, Apple Jack. You can drink alcohol. You do whatever you want, but it's still going to come back the next day. And that's the thing with osteoarthritis. Once you have it, you can't get rid of it. So part of the issue is how do you even prevent it from coming on? Well, the way you prevent it from coming on is by keeping your muscles strong, loose, stable. That'll help keep your joints stable, and that'll help keep help keep things aligned and prevent things from progressing. I would continue. I would encourage you to listen to your pain. Don't let don't poo poo your pain. Even if you feel pain and it goes away, go see somebody. Something's going on in there because even if you felt pain in your shoulder, the pain went away. That joint is still the muscles are still going to be tight and irritated keep the joint misaligned and make you more susceptible to injuring it later on. The more it's injured, the more misaligned it's going to be, and the more that cartilage and joint's going to wear away, which brings on arthritis. So I'm a big fan of low-impact exercising. The uh, exercise program on cointriggerpoint.com for pain-free lifestyle is very easy on your body. Most people can do it. The very first level I did, so I I, um, I organized so that designed so that people in pain can do it. You know, if you are in pain, you want to do a little bit of exercising. You want to do a little bit of strength training, a little bit of stretching, but you want to listen to your body. So if you're not in pain, you want to prevent pain, you haven't exercised in a while, pain-free lifestyle is a great way to get started. Ease your way into it. You want to start out nice and easy with some light cardio. You're talking about stationary bike, elliptical machine, rowing machine. I would not run though. Running is very tough on your body. And, you know, unless you're very young and very good shape, you know, generally running is not going to be the right thing for you. And if you're concerned about your weight, then generally your weight's going to, what we're saying now, what I'm hearing from people say is your weight's going to be controlled in the kitchen, not going to be controlled in the uh, weight room. You know, meaning that food is so calorie dense at this point, you're not going to go and exercise away your diet unless you're doing a ton of cycling. I've been doing a ton of cycling. I'm not cycling as much now, but I was doing you know, three days a week, at least for two hours at a time. And that was a great way to manage my uh, weight. I got a little too thin. So that on top of really watching what I eat. Now I'm trying to put on a few pounds, trying to put on a little bit of muscle. So I'm focusing on doing some strength training. But unless you're doing a ton of cardio, then it's going to be very hard to manage your weight just with cardio. So you really want to watch what you eat. And that's where we get into 
watching processed foods, decreasing animal protein, saying you don't necessarily need to go completely vegetarian or vegan, but you don't want to be eating animal protein at every single meal. You know, I kind of find animal protein once a day, once every other day is more than sufficient for most people. Most people, when I tell them that, they say, well, where are you getting your uh, protein? And I say, well, what are you doing that you need that much protein for? Most people don't need that much protein. And in general, no matter where your protein is coming from, you're only going to be able to absorb a certain amount at one time. You know, I want to say, you know, I can't remember the exact amount, but once you start eating over that, then you're only going to just absorb that protein and store it and becomes fat. Okay. So let's get back to the topic of how do you exercise if you're in pain? What do you do if you're in pain? So what you want to do is if you, so what I was talking about is how to exercise to help prevent pain. Now, if you are in pain and you want to get into exercise, you have to start out easy again. I would recommend if you have knee arthritis, hip arthritis, start out with a stationary bike. Go something nice and easy. Stationary bikes are a great way to keep your knees, your hips, your ankles going through their full ranges of motion with very little impact, with no impact. And what you can do, <clears throat> excuse me, if it doesn't fit you right, try a different one. Try a recumbent bike. But if you're going to do a recumbent, use one of those lumbar supports or a roll or a bolster behind the small of your back. Generally, you should be able to find something that you can do, whether it's an elliptic, whether it's a stationary bike, elliptical machine, rowing machine, something like that, where you can do that doesn't hurt you. Once you find something that doesn't hurt, then what I would do is start out with, you know, if you haven't exercised in 10 years, I'd start out with just about 10 minutes at a time. And then you do some stretching. There's some great stretches on pain-free lifestyle and cone Try and do those as well afterwards. And do those a couple days a week until you feel good, until you feel like you can move on. And then you start increasing it. And once you can do about 20 to 30 minutes of cardio nice and easily, then we start throwing in a little bit of strength training. Strength training is great. Or you can even start strength training beforehand, but you want to ease your way into it. And ease your way into it with very easy strength training exercises like what I have on Pain-Free Lifestyle and CohenTriggerPoint.com. Um, what I like to say to my patients is if it hurts, don't do it. Find something else. Go talk to a trainer or talk to somebody else that can help you find an alternative to that exercise. So if you have arthritis, you know, the saying is it's going to hurt to move, but it's going to hurt more not to move. So you really do want to move. You really do want to exercise, but you want to exercise in ways that don't hurt you. Great ways to exercise, great exercise systems for people that are in pain, yoga, Pilates, and Tai Chi. Tai Chi is great for people that can't get up and down off the ground who have knee arthritis, hip arthritis, ankle arthritis, back arthritis. Uh, I have my aunt who has, who has bad arthritis in her sacrum. She's doing, um, doing Tai Chi and it's been keeping her moving for years. It's great. It helps decrease that progression of arthritis because if you can keep yourself moving, keep the range of motion stimulated, that's going to help decrease the progression of whatever arthritis you have going on. And I tell you, get start talking to higher level yogis. They talk about how they can get rid of arthritis and how they've gotten rid of arthritis in their bodies by maintaining their ranges of motion. I think there's something to that, but take what I say with a grain of salt. All right, let's move on. So if you've been in pain for years, you know, oh, here we're, okay, so let me see. So um, let me see. So how does exercise affect your pain? Exercise, if you can exercise in the right way, it's one of the best ways to control your pain. And if you want to control your pain, you have to exercise. I'm a big believer everybody needs to exercise. We are designed to be out hunting and gathering on fields, gathering through fields for eight to 10 hours a day. We're, we're designed to be doing low, low, mild to moderate 
exercise, you know, consistent exercise, consistent moving throughout the day. And that's what my man Dan Butner found in the blue zones. Let's talk about the blue zones for a minute. I'm a big fan of the blue zones. There are five areas of the world where people are very long lived. Okinawa, Japan is the best known one. Sardinia, uh, Italy, Icaria, Greece, Loma Lindy, California, and a place in Costa Rica. And what they find, these people, these places have very high concentrations of people who live over 100 years. And the, what, so, they, so Dan Butner and a bunch of people from National Geographic went in and studied these people to see all the commonalities. And what they found is that they don't really do a lot of exercising, but they're active all day. The, how their lifestyle is set up, it's designed to keep them moving. They have to go gather water. They have to go gather food for dinner. They have to do things like that. You know, they're picking potatoes, gardening, you know, having a strong social life, a strong social support network. You know, most of them don't retire. Most of them keep working because, you know, they're not working hard, but they're kind of working throughout the day. Mild to moderate, consistent movement, mild to moderate activity. And the way that they eat, most of them eat mostly plant-based. You know, they're not going to eat a ton of animal protein, but they will have a little bit of animal protein with every, you know, every day, meaning they'll use a little bit of like broth to flavor things, a couple bites a day, just to kind of, you know, more for flavoring and texture versus the actual full meal. They'll slaughter an animal and use it for two, use all the parts for two to four weeks, you know, as opposed to just eating the prime parts and throwing the rest away. So, you know, there's a lot of things we can learn from these people, you know, not saying we need to live exactly like them, but I love the theories of how they live, how they move, how they exercise, how they eat. Um, it's a great way to decrease inflammation and keep your body moving and feeling good, you know, as long as possible. Um, so exercise wise, you know, I'd really avoid doing stuff like high intensity interval training. I'd really avoid doing very intense exercising because what we're finding, especially as we age, is that you need more time to recover. As we age, we don't recover as quickly as we did when we were younger. I find that's the biggest difference as we age is you just don't recover as quickly as you did from insults and injuries to the body as we did when we were younger. The best example of that is a hangover. You know, when you're in your thirties, you're not going to recover as quickly as you did when you were 20 from the toxin of alcohol. Same thing with exercise. The more you exercise, it's an irritant to your body. It produces free radicals and you have to get, allow your body some time to, to recover. Most people don't want to allow their body's time to uh, recover. Most people, when they're injured, don't even want to give, them, give themselves time to uh, recover from the injury and they want to get right back into exercising. So, you know, high intensity interval training, I find is very inappropriate for most people. What I'm seeing study-wise is even for professional athletes, generally they'll be able to do more work and more exercise if they can do things at a lower, mild to moderate intensity. And that's what I'm doing with my exercising at this point, and I feel great doing things consistently, but to a more mo uh, moderate intensity, not doing any very high intensity. Um, let me see. So let's go on. How does stretching affect my pain? Well, let's see. So, so there's a lot of controversy about stretching. You know, if you go online, you'll see that stretching doesn't do much long-term, but I'm a big believer that stretching does do a lot long-term. Mainly they just kind of look at things short-term with, with studies on stretching. And yeah, short-term, you know, as, as soon as you stretch out a muscle and do a static stretch, static stretch is like bending over and touching your toes, holding it for 30 seconds. You come back up and what's going to happen is you stimulate a reflex in your muscle that'll cause it to constrict initially, 
for 10 to 20 minutes because it's a self-protective mechanism. Your muscle is just stretched out, your muscle sensing it and it wants to prevent it from tearing. So it tightens up. That's why you never want to stretch before exercise. You want to warm yourself up, loosen yourself up, do some dynamic stretching like joint mobilization drills or, you know, sit on a stationary bike. One of the only times I'd recommend heat is if you want to warm your body up for exercise or warm your body up to do a little stretching, get in a shower for hot shower for five minutes, do some stretching, then put some ice on afterwards and you should feel pretty good. But stretching in general, it's great. I recommend everybody do it. It's the only way that you're going to help loosen up tight, irritated joints. Um, I love yoga because it's very specific stretching, but I'm not a big fan of the very high intensity yoga. You know, the yoga where they say, do this, do this, do this. What you want is I do, what I do is that I, the type of yoga that I do, and I do yoga probably five, six days a week for a half an hour each day, um, helps keep me moving. I don't know how people don't do any stretching. I mean, if I don't do it for a day, I feel tight and irritated. Um, but you know, I do Iyengar yoga, I-Y-E-N-G-A-R, Iyengar yoga. I affectionately call it old person yoga because what you do is you get into a pose, you hold it for a couple minutes, and then you move on. Very specific, very uh, structure oriented, very easy on your body. If you can stretch out, you know, what they show is that long, you know, st long-term studies on stretching show that, you know, there's these uh, fibers in your muscles called actin and myosin that, you know, if they're, they're these microscopic little fibers, people who don't stretch over time, they get all balled up and tight and irritated. But people that do stretch, they show that they're able to maintain parallel, their parallel form and they're more organized, more structured and more flexible. I find flexibility is key to keeping you moving. You know, if you don't do any flexibility training, then it's only, you know, it's only a matter of time before you injure something. You know, it doesn't matter how strong or fast you are. If you're not flexible, you can't move. And I've heard stories pertaining to this, you know, all over, you know, guides out West, they'll have these people come out, these guys come out that have ripped lean six pack abs, but they can't bend over to tie their shoe. And so you want to be functional. You want to be able to move Move. You want to be able to, what I like to say, long-term goals. You want to be able to chase around your grandkid, chase around after your grandkids if you're lucky enough to have them. Short-term, you want to be able to chase around after your kids. You know, you don't want them passing you up at, and when they're six years old. You don't want to be huffing and puffing when they're six years old. You want to be able to keep up with them. So stretching, flexibility is key to keeping yourself moving. Okay, how does what I eat affect my pain? How what you eat will be what you eat totally affects your pain. You know, like I was saying before, what you you know your your um your waistline is determined in the kitchen. It's not going to be determined in the uh, gym. You know, the way I look at it at this point, you go do cardio for 20, 30 minutes, even an hour. Let's say you're going hard. You're not even able to breathe. You're not even able to carry on a conversation because you're breathing so hard. You do, you know, five, 600, you'll burn five to 600 calories. Go out and have a piece of cheesecake, 750 calories. Have two pieces of pizza, that's 500 calories. Food is so calorie dense these days that you cannot out eat a bad diet. And the thing, you can, sorry, you cannot out exercise. You cannot out exercise a bad diet. You eat really badly, it will catch up to you, catch up to you in one way, shape, or form. The worse you eat, the more inflamed your body is going to be, the more pain you are going to have. And along those lines, I see a lot of people who just do a ton of cardio. They just want to do a ton of cardio. They just want to control their weight. You know, they feel that, you know, as long as they're skinny, they'll feel good. Nah, that's not the case. Just because you're skinny doesn't mean you're going to feel good. 
And the way I look at cardio at this point is that cardio, it's going to help you get help to get you from the first floor to the second floor without getting winded. But if you are in pain, it's going to do nothing to help stabilize that pain. That's where you need to get into strength training and stretching. Strength training, having stronger muscles, it's just going to help stabilize your joints. <clears throat> excuse me, and stretching, it's going to help keep your muscles loose and keep everything strong and stable. Your muscles will act as natural shock absorbers and help reduce your pain, help keep your joints more stable, more aligned, help prevent arthritis if you don't have it, help decrease the progression of arthritis if you do have it. So exercise and stretching in what you eat directly related to your pain. And very few people put it together the way that I do. I kind of find that the exercise people, they just get so focused on exercise, they kind of neglect the nutrition component. The nutrition people, they get so focused on nutrition, like my man Ray Cronice, that they kind of neglect the exercise component. And certainly, you know, if you're really watching what you eat, you're really into it like Ray Cronice, you know, you can be thin without exercising. But if you have joint issues, it's not going to do anything to stabilize those joint issues. And 10, 20, 30 years from now, you need to do some exercising now so that you can keep moving 10 to 20, 30 years from now. Otherwise, you're going to have no muscle. The natural tendency with humans is that we lose muscle mass as we age. And so therefore, if you don't do anything to stimulate that muscle mass, even just doing very light weights on a regular basis, 10 years from now, you're going to have less muscle mass, you're going to have less endurance, your balance is going to be worse, so on and so on and so on. I'm a big believer that a lot of the issues we associate with aging are due to a loss of muscle mass over time. So please do a little something, even you're just using two pound dumbbells, five pound dumbbells, do that program that I have on pain-free lifestyle on conetriggerpoint.com and it will keep you moving for many, many years to come. Like I keep saying, let's keep you feeling as good as possible, as long as possible. Okay, so, ba 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 Um... We've talked about how do you get rid of osteoarthritis. You don't really get rid of osteoarthritis. You mainly manage it. The best way to manage it is by keeping yourself moving, keeping your joints strong, keeping your joints stable, keeping your joints loose. You know, if you've had pain for years, chances are you're not going to get rid of it, but chances are you really can reduce it. If you've had pain for years and you have osteoarthritis, chances are you're not going to get rid of it, but you really can manage it and reduce it. You know, and the thing is, even if you've had pain for years, it's never too late to do any, do something about it. I mean, I feel, I find people who are in their seventies and eighties and beyond, you can do things to manage your pain processes. You don't have to just suffer with it, but you know, you need to do something, you need to be proactive. And one of the things that they say in physical therapy that I really, really like is for every year you've had, every year you've had a problem, you need to allow a month of therapy to get rid of it. Let's repeat that again. Every year you have had a problem, you need to allow a month of therapy to get rid of it. And I have patients that come in all the time and they've had pain for 10 years and they want to say, hey, doc, you know, get rid of this in one treatment. And they look at me like I'm a failure if I don't get rid of it in one treatment. It doesn't work like that. You know, if you got to allow time, you know, took time to get you into pain, it's going to take time to calm things down. The way I look at it at this point, is the way pain come on slowly and insidiously kind of building up and calming down, building up and calming down in the same way that pain calms down. You talk to physical therapists, they say the same thing. It's very normal as you are healing to do two or three or four steps forward, one or two steps backwards. So just because you have a bit of a flare up doesn't mean that you're not doing any good as you are getting yourself better. Please have patience. Please know that you are going to have flare-ups as you're trying to get yourself more active, as you're trying to eat better, as you're trying to stretch more. But when you have a flare-up, be patient. 
let things calm down. Do some trigger pointing on yourself like I have the, on my uh, blogs. I describe how to treat your pain if you have shoulder pain, hip pain, and leg pain. Do those trigger points. Do the stretches that I have on pain-free lifestyle as well. And ice, it's a great way to get things to calm down. And once your pain calms down, once that pain flare-up calms down, then you get back into exercising. Everybody falls off the wagon. Everybody has times where they back off from exercise. But the trick is try not to let it go too long. The longer you let it go, the harder it's going to be to get back into exercising. But certainly if you're in pain, listen to your pain. Don't aggravate it. That's the main thing. Let pain be your guide. Okay, so let's move, talk about a few other things. So um, MRIs, x-ray, CT scans. Let's just talk about that for a second because it's very possible with musculoskeletal injuries to have an injury but have no structural damage. You know, it's the same way you can bend your finger back, you know, as far as you can and it's going to hurt. You release it, it's going to eventually not hurt. But when you're bending it back, you're not doing any structural damage. Certainly you can do structural damage, but you don't have to have structural damage to, to uh, have pain. And that's part of the issue with x-rays, MRI, CT scans. And I hear it from patients all the time. I just want to see what's going on in here. I just need to see what's going on so I can have an idea of what to do. A lot of times, you know, <clears throat> and it's very well documented, pain does not correlate to findings on an x-ray, MRI, or CT scan. You can have very bad physical symptoms, a ton of pain, and very minor findings on an x-ray, MRI, or CT scan, and vice versa. Very minor physical pain and horrible findings on an x-ray, MRI, or CT scan. So just because you have pain doesn't mean that it's going to show up on an x-ray or MRI. And just because nothing showed up on an x-ray or MRI or a CT scan doesn't mean that you have nothing going on. Keep in mind, you know your body better than anybody else does. You know if you are in pain. If you are in pain and you went to see 10 doctors, they can't figure anything out. It's because you're not seeing the right person. Generally, it's going to be muscular. What I like to say to my patients as I call it, diagnosis by exclusion. The more pain, you know, um, muscles really don't show up on x-rays, MRI, CT scans. They will show up on an MRI, but they have to be complete 100% tear for them to be able to visual, be visualized. You're not really going to see that with the type of tearing that I'm talking about that causes most musculoskeletal pain. So don't think that you're crazy. Do some trigger point on yourself. Do some stretching. Try and see a, you know, see a chiropractor. Keep going until you find somebody who can help you with your pain. Keep going until you find somebody who, um, who understands you. Okay, so what else do we have here? Um, you know, keep in mind, I like that, you know, muscles and joints, they're like husband and wife. You're not going to have a joint issue without having a muscle issue. In the same vein, muscles and nerves, they're like husband and wife. You're not going to have a nerve issue without having a muscle issue or vice versa. You have a pinched nerve, a muscle is going to be involved. Chances are a muscle is going to be pinching that. So you want to take care of the muscular component. Muscles are involved in so many different pain processes. You really want to be able to help manage your musculoskeletal pain in order to manage your joint pain and your arthritic pain, so on and so on as things come up. I always like to say to people, exercise smarter don't exercise harder. Eat smarter. Don't just eat less. You know, be smart about this stuff. There's so much information out there. So many intelligent people trying to figure this stuff out. There's a lot of good information. You don't just want to go hard. Going hard, hard, hard all of the time. What I like to say is if you're going hard, you're not giving your body a break. You know, eventually something's going to give. It's going to, and it's not going to be in the outside world. It's going to be something giving in your body. You know, the rest of the world is hard enough on our bodies. So we want to go easy on our bodies. You know, you can't go hard all the time. Rest and stretching are two of the most 
overlooked and underappreciated components to physical fitness and just keeping yourself healthy. If you find that you're not recovering, that you're tired all the time, get more rest. Try and eat a little more. Try and rest and recover. Give yourself a couple extra days off from exercising. Give yourself a couple more days to sleep in. As we age, we need more rest and recovery. And if we don't get that, then that irritation starts building up and we're going to age quicker. Our bodies are going to break down quicker. You're going to get more wrinkles, more aches and pains. And I've seen that, you know, when I used to do a lot of high level mountain bike racing, I would see these guys who would win, you know, they were in Olympic shape. We had literally Olympic, um, Olympic, uh, I would race against, you know, gold medal champions at the starting line. I wouldn't even come close to beating them, but it was cool to see them on the starting line, but they looked so old. Because they were younger than me and they looked older because they put their body through so much stress that you don't have to. If you're not a pro athlete, you don't have to exercise like a pro athlete. All right. I think our time is done for now. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Please, any questions, any comments, email me, josh at cohentriggerpoint.com. Check out my social media. I believe it's at cohentpt um, or at cohentriggerpoint. Check me out. If you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to leave them. Please like my Facebook page and Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. Cohen Trigger Point, pain-free day, pain-free lifestyle, pain-free lifestyle. All right. I hope you all have a pain-free day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Pain-Free Day. Make sure you join Joshua Cohen for another program next Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now, go enjoy your pain-free day.